0: Coming up on Chasing the Natty, the one thing that separates CFF from any other fantasy sport is the amount of research and news you have to keep track of. And Nate and I will be discussing some of our favorite strategies to make it all that much more manageable for you all. In addition, we'll be touching on some of the first bits of spring news we'll be getting from across the country. And finally, we're going to let you know some of the best and worst values in drafts early in this offseason. All this and more coming right after this. Harrison Jr. touchdown! Marvelous! mark Home next to the end zone. Touchdown from Franklin! A majestic touchdown! This is chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. Alright, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty Podcast. Hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We got a lot to discuss today because I'm a madman and typically we cover maybe... One major topic or two major topics, I went out and decided to cover three different topics. As you heard at the top of the show before the intro there, we got a lot to talk about. And as always, we have our fearless co-host, Mr. Nate Marquise. Nate, how are you doing today, sir?
1: I am great. Um, Excited to be back on with you here. Spent a day at the uh, Kansas City Zoo because the weather is fantastic this weekend here. Yes, sir. Took my daughter out and checked out some of the uh, some of the animals, spent a little time with family
0: and had a nice little Sunday. That's a very, very nice little Sunday. Again, weather's gorgeous over here. Um, best part about Athens is spring break and summer break. Because that's when all the college students leave and everything gets a lot quieter around here and it's a lot easier to go out and do fun stuff because nothing's nearly as crowded. Like my girlfriend and I, for the first time, we went to a place called Wonder Bar last night and it is like a video game it's a it's a video game bar. Like you go mm-hmm. in there, there's drinks, there's snacks and stuff like that. But they have like switches, Xboxes, PS4s, old arcade games and stuff like that, all free of charge. The games are all free. It's just nice. you have to, it's just you have to you know pay for drinks, pay for food and stuff like that. But it it was incredible in there, and it, it got a little busy as the night went on. But fun, fun idea. You got yeah, anything fun like that in Kansas City? I don't know that
1: we have any uh, any bars like that. We had an arcade bar that was. Um a pretty big hit but i'm not even sure if it made it through covid but we don't not that i know of that we have any video game bars that's a really that's a really cool idea i i don't play a ton of video games but i could get behind something like that just uh uh, having a few beers and and playing some games would remind me a lot of uh, my time in college for sure.
0: Yeah, there's a similar place I went to in Atlanta, but they like they they charge you like twenty bucks to use their computers or to like reserve spaces. I'm like that's not nearly as fun. Like if you if you can get that set up with all your friends, that's great. But like yeah. this one, is literally just walk in. Um, it's a good time I, again. I don't drink, but like I can enjoy a bar setting. I've kind of figured out that as long as there's something else for me to do there besides you know drink like right. if, if there, if there's a if there's a pool table, if there's like darts and stuff like that, I can get behind that. I can I can go in there, I'll play pool with people all day long. That's fun to me. or and obviously TV for sports and stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, enough yeah. about our social lives and everything. Like I said, we got a ton to talk about here, Nate. Um this month as part of C2C, um All of us at C2C are kind of trying to go back to basics on some things. Again, March started to get a few people kind of trickling in here that are, you know, have taken their break from college football. They're trying to come back in. So we're going to get a little back to basics. And today we're going to cover research strategies. I guess I'll go ahead and move us over to that screen. We're going to discuss some research strategies for college fantasy We could have gone the route of, you know, just like how to set up your leagues and everything. But a lot of that is basically covered when you play NFL redraft. It's a lot of the same stuff. Some few changes here and there. Again, maybe you have a few more roster spots because of how deep the player pool is. But as I just mentioned, the player pool is massive. And by far the hardest part of playing college fantasy is keeping up with all the players, all the the news coming out of camps, all of the transfers that are going on. So Nate, we're going to spend the first, I'd say probably about 20-30 minutes a day discussing different research strategies that we have, like as people who cover this sport, cover this game that we all love to play, and what we can kind of teach to people out there who again maybe don't have as much time as us to keep track of all of this. What are some strategies they might can employ in order to keep up with it all? So just kind of very broadly here, again, I have some questions here on the sheet that we can use to kind of guide us, covering different aspects of it. But just kind of on a broad scale, Nate, do you have any just basic strategies that you kind of employ to, like, let's say it's the start of the off season? What's the first thing that you're doing to keep up with everything?
1: Right now, I am literally Twitter searching the word spring practice and and seeing what and seeing what pops up with that i love it. um so that's that's just how i kind of get some some spring practice news uh i mean obviously right now i think matt does a fantastic job matt yes. Birding from our from our site c2c does a fantastic job with the youtube uh short clips usually 15 to 20 minutes just giving updates weekly uh on spring practices and i it sounds like uh, from the most recent video he did, he's also going to put that in both podcast and written form. So uh, a, a variety of ways you can get that information. So that's kind of what I do this time of year. Um, and, and you know, I'm in the thick of things so much between our chats and, yep. and dis- discords and those types of things where it's it's still a lot of information coming at you. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll touch on it. There's a lot of useful spots on our on our website at campuscan.com that you can use to kind of find out you know who's going where and and what's happening with everything
0: yeah i think we'll, we'll just kind of start with the first question i have here moving forward and that is first thing that i always whenever like a new season comes around the first thing i am making sure that i know is who's coming back, and who has left. Whether that is graduating, they're just moving on to a different career, or they're just going off to the XFL, NFL, USFL. So my kind of strategy when it comes to that is twofold. One, I do follow wonderful websites like Campus of Canton and also CFB Winning Edge, both of whom keep wonderful lists of just everybody that's leaving. But obviously, if you don't have access to those things, there's just some things you could research on your own. Um, looking up, so a lot of times you'll get lists of like early NFL declarees, a lot of websites like 247, On3, places like that do that very often, but it's harder to find the guys who are just straight up graduating, like the seniors, the guys that probably aren't as buzzworthy in the NFL, guys that are probably going day three, if not probably undrafted free agent guys. To me, the best place to find guys like that, those are the ones that will typically sneak through senior bowl shrine bowl any of those kind of bowls those rosters like going through and just kind of checking guys off that are on those rosters because that's typically where you're going to find guys like that so Nate do you have anybody or anybody but any strategy you have when it comes to trying to figuring out as quickly as you can what the player pool for college fantasy football is looking like in terms of who is gone and who's coming back no, not really. The I will give props to Fantrax. It sounds like I, I haven't done any drafts
1: yet this year, but just from talking with you guys, it does sound like they've done a really good job of updating their rosters. Did they get rid of? No, the,
0: not yet. Ah, okay. Not yet. They have done yeah. an incredible job of getting in freshmen, and okay. I, I I don't think I've run into hardly any problems with anybody coming in saying like, oh, this obvious freshman is not here. Uh, yeah. PJ, who's been doing our freshman mocks for the Campus of Canton Leagues and everything, says that hes they've done a very good job with that. The big thing that they've kind of been missing in terms of players being added, most often it's been FCS transfers coming up to the FBS levels. So like guys like Cameron Scadabo from Sacramento State going to Arizona sure. State, he's not in there.
1: But guys like will levis and anthony richardson they're still floating around yes they and, are yeah that's too bad um yeah I, I, i'll be honest with you I, I don't have uh i don't have any strategies when it comes to that usually um just a twitter search or google search to find out if if uh, anybody has i mean luckily now we're, we're to the point where the combine's going on and stuff like that so True. um a, a lot of that information is is a little bit
0: easier to find versus where we were at in early january on declarations and stuff Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, again, we were talking about keeping track of who's coming back, who's leaving. The other aspect of college fantasy that we have to keep track of now is the transfer portal, which has absolutely blown up over the last couple of years. Nate, do you have any resources that you typically go to in order to keep track of all these transfers that are going on?
1: Yeah, two of them. Uh, 247 does a really good job of uh, on each team's... uh, commitments page for mm-hmm. each recruiting class that they have uh 247 does a good job at the very bottom will show any incoming transfers that that program has so for instance like Colorado's is you have to scroll forever because there's 9 million transfers coming into Colorado <laughs> but they do a good job of showing where they're from uh and where they're going so 247 is a really good resource for that and then also on campuscan.com we've got our CfB portal tracker which is amazing there, it shows close to 230. Um, you know transfers that are the only you know the fantasy relevant transfers. Meaning it's you know we don't two four seven is going to show you all the defensive and, of the, and the offensive linemen and stuff like that. This the C two C two C college football portal tracker uh, you know weeds all that out and it's just the skill positions that we care about for fantasy.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great call. The other thing I, I also have written on my notes here again two four seven on three also has a very good transfer portal tracker as well the other resource i'll kind of throw out there the at fbs fantasy foot account on twitter the guys who run that are absolutely nuts in how quickly they're able to glean information from twitter and retweet it out for everybody to see i personally have notifications turned on for any time that they put out a tweet because the moment that they know, I know now. And I'm able to keep track of a lot of transfer news with that and has made everything a lot easier. Again, we're trying not to make this a campus account infomercial because we do have a lot of great resources on the website, but I also do want to give a ton of shout outs to a lot of great guys out there. So Nate, you touched on this already when it came to keeping track of spring news. Again, I love the, the idea of just again, Twitter searching, spring practice, just seeing what all new articles are being put out there. The other thing I will do, and I'm going to give a shout out to the CFF site here because they have a good resource on this, Uh, Mike Bainbridge put out a um, webpage last year where he has listed every FBS team and he has listed his preferred beat writer that has given him the best information. Regarding spring practices, roster management, stuff like that. So go over to their website. I believe that web page is free for everybody. I might be incorrect on that. Mike, you can DM me and correct me if I'm wrong there. But that is a I went through that. And there are a couple guys on there that I wasn't aware of. And I've started following them ever since. And it has made my job a whole lot easier. So If you're another thing you guys can do, and this is something on Twitter I've seen some people start to do is if, again, if you're on a if you're on like a personal account on Twitter, you don't have you don't want to be filling your feed constantly with college football and stuff like that. Why wouldn't you? But even so, maybe you don't. (laughs) What I've seen people do is they started to use that list function on Twitter, where instead of following all of these guys, they add them to a list like a certain list on their Twitter so they can go whenever they're in the mood to catch up on college football news, they can then go and scroll exclusively college football beat writers. So that's something I might suggest to y'all if you're worried about clogging up your Twitter feed.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I do. I got all of the, you know, each one of the, the beat writers in one list. So I can just scroll through that list and see if there's anything coming out. So
0: The other two things I would say when it comes to spring news, and really this is just news in general, and this is going to sound so obvious, but again, keep yourself listening to podcasts. When you're working and stuff like that, you don't have to be 100% paying attention. You don't have to be sitting down, like, eyes glued to a screen, looking at guys. You would be surprised when you're just working and listening to some of these college football podcasts, how much you're gleaning without actively without actively um listening like you would be surprised later how much you can recall like it doesn't have to be something you have to put aside time for when you're driving when you're going back and forth to work again this sounds like obvious stuff but again like you would be surprised like how often i would talk to people and they're just i'm like okay what podcast do you listen to for college football news and they're just like I don't really. I have to set time aside to like read articles and stuff like that. I'm like, no, no, no. Find some that you can put on in the background. You would be surprised how much, in, how much information you are gleaning without realizing it. So another Nate, good one. I go was going to say another good one is the uh,
1: Cover Three podcast. Um, yes, sir. With Bud, El- Bud Elliott and uh, and Chip and those guys. I know last summer, uh, Bud did his summer school series. Oh, that was incredible! Yeah, and he spoke to beat writers for basically every program, all, every every program, and just kind of. He had, you know, five or six questions for him, and it was a lot of really valuable, um, relevant fantasy football information that that you can get out of that. So I would definitely say check that out when he hopefully starts firing those back up here in the next couple months.
0: Yeah. And again, check out all of our stuff at campuscanton.com. Again, all of all of our shows pretty much cover different news aspects throughout the offseason, whether it's Devi debate, whether it is back to Devi, here, here of course on CTN, all all of our shows pretty much cover that stuff. One last thing i'll touch on when it comes to spring news join a discord or set up a group chat with some like-minded buddies and just constantly share with each other just news and posts that you find again being a part of the campus can't Camp discord as well as the cff site discord Having places where people are just like working together to when they find information and they post it all in one place and you can just kind of scroll through and be like, oh, that's interesting. I totally missed that. It helps a ton. This doesn't have to be something that you have to take on on your own. Again, talk to your college football buddies. Constantly be texting each other. Be like, yo, guys, did you see this? This is really cool. This is what I did. When I first started playing College Fantasy, again it was me and Xavier. We would just constantly be texting each other back and forth. Be like, hey, you see this? This is really cool. Again, don't be afraid to lean on others. That's all I'm saying. Uh, one last thing we can touch on here, and Nate, this is really where I'm gonna this is really gonna be your time to shine because of your awesome articles that you have been releasing recently. When it comes to researching coaching systems, Nate. Again, you've been putting out these awesome articles, really detailed stuff, understanding all of these systems that different coaches have. What are your suggestions to people who uh, who want to understand that side of college fantasy? Because as we say all the time, college fantasy is system, 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 and understanding systems helps you understand the players. So what are your suggestions there, Nate?
1: Uh, I don't know. It's probably a pretty similar answer to what we've had with some of these other questions, and that's... You know, trying to listen to some of the podcasts, our podcast, obviously you and I really focus on systems more than probably, <laughs> probably anybody else, but, um, you know, especially once, once the summer rolls around, there's going to be a lot more podcasts that pop up and discussing, uh, you know, different coaching changes and systems and that type of thing. I know, uh, they will, they'll cover it on campus life here. Um, and, uh, Debbie debate, they'll, they'll talk about systems a little bit as well too. So, uh, yeah, I mean that's for me. I'm I'm just you know I'm I'm a degenerate, and I I read constantly about what coaches are going where and and just track the information. I think it's you know there's a lot of useful tools as far as um, you know on the C2C website, just seeing okay yep. what is what's the neutral game script you know pass rate for this team, what's the rush rate for this team, and just trying to find out um, kind of how that looks. And I, I think that the we do a pretty good job of it in our CFF guide that will be coming out later this summer yes, of of kind of detailing some of the differences in not only the coaching changes, but just kind of trends that we see with each program and, and kind of how that's going.
0: Yeah, and it's one thing you can do is you can um, kind of break it down on – the website in two different ways so again we have the college team tool so if you just want to see what has arkansas been doing in the run game over the last like five years you can look at it through that way or again if you again systems follow coaches so we the, the campus camp website also has a head coach tool so you can go and you can filter out what has this coach been doing in their career as long as they have been a head coach i know we're trying to work on adding offensive coordinators i know we're trying to add different diff- other coaching types into that tool as well so that to me is going to be quickly become the premier tool if you're trying to understand what kind of systems different coaches are running and Nate, i have to imagine you probably use that a little bit when you were doing some of your research for your articles at least just a preliminary understanding for some of them
1: yeah yeah it's a good it's a good useful tool tool to uh
0: kind of have some of that background um
1: information there so yeah definitely go check it out
0: Alrighty, wow we got through pretty much all of that a lot quicker than i was expecting nate before we kind of move on from this topic again I, I hope everybody has gleaned at least something from there. I know we kind of moved through a lot of that quickly. But, Nate, do you have any, like, final thoughts, uh, any bits of pieces of advice when it comes to how to manage your research for college fantasy?
1: No, I think from a research standpoint, um, you know, we we covered a lot of information there. Our, I assume at some point are we going to go over, like, just... Uh, thoughts and strategies as far as like with starting leagues and and commission and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Again, we're going to do that all throughout this month. Pretty much the first like 15, 20 minutes of every one of our shows, we're going to cover a different topic. I just know a lot of, a lot of our podcasts have been talking about setting up leagues and I'm like, okay, that's not usually the thing that people are hung up on when they first get started for college fantasy college fantasy the big thing is research and like how to manage yeah. how how to make that easier for people so i figured that would be an interesting place to start that way we're not turning off those of you who have been here for years maybe those of you who have been here for years learn something from this discussion here today but again we'll get we'll talk about all of that kind of stuff moving forward but now speaking of all that news and keeping up with it we got to talk about some of these initial spring um camps that have been going on and before we get into that well, oh, wrong page but you know what since i have the page up and pretty much since the last since the last 15 minutes has been a big infomercial i'll quickly go through this spiel again guys we're part of the cff team over at campus canton make sure you like comment and subscribe make sure you're following us wherever you are listening on podcasts And make sure you're leaving those five-star reviews. Again, we love hearing from y'all. Make sure you DM myself on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. You can find Nate. He is at CFF Nate on Twitter. We love answering you guys' questions. With that being said, I think we can pretty much get right on back to these spring camps. And we're going to touch on a few of those spring camps that have... um, pretty much already begun not a ton of news out there so we're going to get through this section pretty quickly but i did want to go ahead and discuss nate i have up on the screen here a graphic that i made of all the schools that are kicking off spring camps this week and i'm not going to run through every single one of these because i got like 30 schools up on the screen right now but nate looking at the screen here of all these schools here what are one or two schools that you're excited to get started with this week and find out information from
1: North Carolina definitely I want to see with all of the you know the attrition they had at the wide receiver room I want to when we'll we'll touch on that a little bit later but I'm I'm really curious to see how that pans out especially with their new offensive coordinator uh another one that probably sticks out to me here would be uh, Miss, uh Mississippi State just given the amount of changes obviously with Mike Leach no longer being there I'm really curious to hear what they talk about, how the offense is going to look and how they how they see that playing out. Because, man, just talk about a massive um, – I don't know if any program's going through a bigger 180 as far as their offensive philosophy than the, what they have this offseason. So um, I would say those those are the main ones that, that probably stand out to me. Um, maybe a little bit of Liberty. That's kind of interesting just given their coaching changes as well too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are probably the main ones. What about you?
0: Uh, Kentucky, starting on Monday, again, I want to see, again, we get Liam Cohn back in, I want to see how quickly they're able to re-implement that system that made Will Levis so successful two years ago, guys like Wandale Robinson successful, I want to hear how the three, top three wide receivers are doing with the with the new system, again, Tavian Robinson brought in to be that slot guy, you got Dane Key and Barry and Brown on the outside, I want to see who's stepping up early on, Do we continue to hear a love fest from Liam Cohen about Tavian Robinson? Or does Barry and Brown come in and kind of prove them like, hey, you're wrong. I'm the guy that everybody should be the most excited about. I'm also curious to see how uh, Ramon Davis is doing as the starting running back there. Again, a lot of great pieces for Kentucky. I want to see how they all kind of mesh together here. We probably don't talk about it enough, but that's
1: a a (coughs) really, really strong landing spot for Ray Davis, man. I mean... To to be as successful as he was at Vanderbilt, um, there's a lot of places he could have transferred to that we would have frowned upon. Kentucky's not one of them, though. They've produced no nope. really solid, really strong running back numbers.
0: Yeah, again, I have Ram- Ramon Davis as my running back twenty. So again, I I'm with you. I, I fully I love that landing spot for him. I'm excited to see what he does. Other ones that kind of stick out to me here: uh, Arkansas State again. One thing that I think really flew under the radar with a lot of people is that uh, Corey Rucker went back there. And he was very successful under the same coaching staff and everything. Again, obviously, they got to figure out quarterback Mm -hmm. there because James Blackman's moving on. They don't have Lane Hatcher to fall back on anymore. That's a program. Sorry, go ahead.
1: I I was just going to say that's a program that's hard to get information out of because it is a small G5 School, but last year, and I believe even the year before that, they posted the box score of their spring game, yes, which was really nice. And very few programs actually post a, a straight up box score, so that's nice to not have to, um, you know, really dig hard for that type of information,
0: yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, some other ones here again, UAB again, we'll talk about that here with one of the players we're going to talk about when it comes to our adp analysis but Mm -hmm. i'm really curious to see what that coaching staff starts to sound like what kind of system they're planning on running like you said nate it's a g5 program so we're probably not going to get a ton out of them but i'm i'm interested in gleaning whatever information i can out of them and then one another under the radar one and I i mean really under the radar here rice you got jt daniels going over there again obviously for school he hasn't been successful really anywhere that he's gone but he's finally moving down to the g5 it's the aac defensively challenged conference he has two good options at receiver and luke mccaffrey and bradley rosner who's coming back for his eighth year of eligibility we did confirm that um so again that's another one I'm, i'm kind of excited to see like maybe if they can finally get things off the ground going there
1: well, the ones you the ones you picked out, you're gonna you're gonna have to dig
0: deep, man. I know. Those are the,
1: <laughs> those are some G five programs that are really tough to get
0: info on. I know, I know. But it, again, I'm I you know, you never like know it. when one of them starts to put out information. That's right. That's right. So again, we got a couple of spring reports to get through here, uh, mostly coming out of the AAC, um, and we got one from the Mountain West, and so we'll kind of get right to it. First one we'll talk about here, coming out of South Florida, they get started this week, but we're already kind of hearing from the coaching staff, and it looks like that Byron Brown will be getting that first crack at the QB1 job, not necessarily because of him outperforming everybody, but because Jerry Bohannon is still out, and uh, Cartavius Marsh will also be out for the spring. So to me, there could be a QB battle here, maybe when we get into the fall, but brown kind of being all alone back there and especially with how well he performed down the stretch for South Florida last year i think he might be the guy to invest in moving forward here this is going to give him a massive leg up going forward nate your thoughts on the south florida room right now yeah as
1: as a cff analyst we like this this is we want to see some some division happen here in this quarterback room and him getting a leg up on the rest of that competition there I think it's important because it is a it is a totally new system that yep. all all three quarterbacks are learning and he's the young guy he's the guy that has shown probably the most upside um and so for him to be able to get basically all the reps with the ones throughout the spring I think think's a really really big advantage for him uh going into the fall camp yeah doesn't doesn't decide it but it, no. it's a it's a big it's it's a big leg up for him in my mind
0: no, I agree, and because again, like Jerry Bohannon, I mean, he was a starter at Baylor for I, I think two years or one. No, four, it was just just that one year. Just the one year. Okay, yeah. but even so he he started at a P five level. That's that's mm-hmm. a great experience on his part. He was the starter heading into last year before he got hurt again. So I think he'll like if there's anybody going to challenge Brown come the fall, it'll be Bohannon. Sure. But even still. Like you said, him having all these snaps in the spring and likely the summer is going to give him a huge leg up here. Not really much else to say there. Again, they're getting started this week, so we'll probably hear more about what actually comes out of spring practice there. Let's go over to Hawaii, where they're had they they finished. They're done with spring practice. Uh, it had a lot to do with some renovations they had going on with some of their facilities, so they had to get it all out of the way pretty early on they had their spring game this past week in which case their beat writers gave us zip, zero nothing <laughs> about it literally the only article i could find was just like yeah they had a spring game i'm like okay you have any any anything out of it who looked good no, nope nothing they had a spring game um and then nate you kind of pointed this out because i sent you the whole article and this article is literally like two paragraphs long y'all it's not long at all but you actually did gleam one little bit of information out of it that you were kind of surprised by so Nate what was that little bit of information
1: just that they're they're transitioning to the run and shoot which is the the offense that Timmy Chang uh ran during his time there at Hawaii uh, and kind of blows my mind. I just assumed that they were transitioning to that last year. This is his second year there, so I don't know why he wasted a year if the plan was to go to the the offense that he wants to run anyways. So, um, yeah, they're going to the run and shoot. I probably, you know, like I said, we don't have any information as far as who did what in the spring, but for me, I'm going to be looking for those depth chart reports coming out before the season starts because yes, we we know historically with the run and shoot, the inside receiver position – uh is is the one to own and they put up big numbers. John Arsua, who's the wide receivers coach there now, yes, was a was a monster fantasy producer during his time there. He he played that same role. So we'll keep an eye on see who's who's gonna be in those spots whenever whenever the depth charts start rolling around.
0: Yep. Like I said, not a ton to not, to, not a ton to gleam from Hawaii, but they are they are done for the year. So maybe hopefully we can kind of, I don't know, osmosis some information away from the island nation, island nation, good lord, what am I talking about? <laughs> they are Americans. <laughs> they are, they are indeed Americans. Um, the island state, excuse me, that's the word I'm looking for. Technically, United States, they're all tiny nation, whatever. Um, anyway, let's go to Houston. Uh, let's talk about what's going on over here. This is actually got quite a bit of information coming out of here um, also, we'll,
1: also in America. Houston.
0: Also, in, also in America, Houston is. <laughs> um, believe it or not, even though Texas, I think, has threatened to secede about a million <laughs> times in U.S. history. Anyway, what are we talking if, about?
1: If they do, I hope Dana Holgerson becomes the president of uh, this su- succession of of Texas. That would dude, be hilarious. That that guy, be, that
0: guy is so good. Dude, that would be absolutely incredible. Anyway, um, let's talk about their running backs first. Kind of, we're getting two. We're getting information pretty much all over here, which is great. Running backs, Brandon Campbell out for the spring. Ultima McCaskill back, not totally cleared. He Don't expect him to be going full force this spring. Again, this is like right about the time, maybe about 10 months away from his ACL tear. So don't expect him to be going full speed here. They're going to be very careful with him. Like we d- discussed last week, they don't want another injury happening to him because of just how good mccaskill is as a talent he is head and shoulders above everybody there but with campbell out mccaskill limited i am gonna keep an eye on stacy sneed just a little bit of course again if mccaskill comes back he's full go by the time fall camp runs around we're probably not talking about sneed whatsoever but if mccaskill God forbid something were to happen to him again, and Campbell out for the spring doesn't get the reps. It feels like Sneed could be in line for a very good year there. Your thoughts on that, Nate? I'll just be following along in
1: the fall to see get confirmation that McCaskill is 100. If if we're still hearing rumblings that he's not a full go or that he's wearing, you know a um, you know a, a, an alternate jersey in practice because he's still um not at 100 then i'm then i'm concerned but yep. until then i'm not gonna
0: worry about it too much all right now you, you what do you want to go next wide receivers or quarterbacks or uh, QBs. QBs? QBs. again it sounds like it'll be a battle between donovan smith and the freshman they brought in last year it, it sounds like currently the freshman is ahead of, I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden off the top of my head give me a second um but it sounds yeah, he's like a,
1: he, he's a transfer from somewhere. I can't remember either.
0: Um, uh, <laughs> But uh, he's but, definitely
1: an under the radar guy. Uh, again, but I'm. I'm. I'm Donovan, making fun of, Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, Donovan Smith is. They're they're going to call it a a quote competition. You know, right now, but I will be I will be shocked if uh, Coley it's not. Coley, yeah, if it's not Donovan Smith, that I'll be pretty surprised if it's not him that trots out to take the first snap in game one. So, yeah, um, you know, maybe maybe some yellow flags are raised if, uh, if we hear that this is still competition come mid-August, but I'm not too worried about it right now.
0: Well, again, the only reason why Coley is even ahead right now is because, again, he's had a year in the system. So, again, it will totally depend on how quickly Donovan Smith is able to pick things up here. I have to— yeah. I have to imagine that, like, again, he's had the experience of learning an offense before. He'll be able to pick it up pretty easily, and I agree with you. Again, he's still the guy to invest here, but it is something interesting there. That is, again, clearly the job's not being handed to him early on. We'll talk about wide receivers now. Again, it sounds like from reports... That your current three starters are the three guys from last year. Again, Matthew Golden, Man Jack, Samuel Brown. Those are your starters right now. I have a sneaking suspicion that that is that lineup is going to change at least somewhat. Again, you Houston brought in some pretty good options out of the transfer portal. Yeah, Joshua Cobbs, the number one wide receiver for Wyoming last year, was performing really well for them. He's headed over to Houston. You also bring in the true freshman from Oklahoma State last year, uh, Stephon Johnson, who showed out for the, um, for the Cowboys in multiple games. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys breaks into the starting lineup here. But let's be real. The guy who everybody is banking on to be that top receiver in Matthew Golden, I, I have no worries about him leaving the starting lineup. I, I still think that he is the best one to invest in right now. They do you kind of feel the same way? Yep, I'm still in on Golden. He's my guy. Okay, fair enough. Short and sweet. Love it to the point. Uh speaking of other crowded wide receiver rooms, let's go over to SMU. Again, you got Preston Stone coming in. He or er, coming in. He is gonna be your starter for the full year now. It is finally time for him. Currently, it looks like from early reports, your top wide receivers seem to be Jordan Curley, Keyshawn Smith, and Dylan Goffney. However, in credit to Matt Bruni here for kind of bringing this to my attention, and I went and confirmed with some of the people talking about these practices, Jackson Lavender, a three-star freshman wide receiver, has been making noise in this camp very, very early here. I, again, I'm not saying he's going to be a starter by the end of the year. Again, we've heard this before from a lot of different places over the years of like a guy comes in, a lot, impresses, a lot of these freshmen just hit a wall at one point that keeps them from being true starters. If you want a great example that just came in my mind, Andre Green Jr. last year for North Carolina came in. Everybody was over the moon excited. Barely got playing time throughout the entire, or got playing time, but barely produced for UNC in his freshman year. I wouldn't be shocked if the same thing happened here with Lavender, but again, impressing this early on, you got to keep that name in the back of your head right there. Nate, your thoughts on SMU's wide receiver room right now?
1: Yeah, that was a it was a really good nugget that Matt had uh, had mentioned with Lavender in his uh, spring first spring camp report. I don't know much about him. I do know that this this room is pretty deep, so there's a lot of bodies for him to have to climb over. Um, but something to just, yeah, just kind of keep in the back of your mind, write, jot the name down. And if we continue to hear this throughout the spring and we start to hear his name early on in the fall, then uh, then he's definitely somebody to be reckoned with. But for right now, uh, the three that I would probably most likely invest in uh, would be Curly, Keyshawn Smith and Dylan Goffney at this time. In that order? Probably, uh, from everything I saw on some of the some of the the uh, quick clips that the beat writers were posting, it looks like Curley's probably like he's kind of the first man up in all the drills. He's he's definitely the one that's getting a lot of work with Preston Stone. So he he would be my one, and then I'll keep an eye on what happens between Smith and Gothney, But I think one of those two guys will get the other outside receiver spot, which is. What we want in this Rhett Lashley offense, we want those boundary guys. Uh, yes, historically, sir. that's what he's he's produced.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. And again, I I have a feeling if I if I had to invest in one of those other two guys, I would probably put more eggs in the basket of Keyshawn Smith. Again, him bringing him directly over from yeah. Miami where Lashley was before, I think that'll kind of again that familiarity with the offense is going to help him out a ton. Producing at the P5 level beforehand. He's the guy that I'd probably invest in if you can't get Curly. Alrighty. So moving on to our third segment here. Again, that's all of our spring camp news rundown. Again, we're gonna have a lot more of that. That's pretty much gonna dominate most of our stuff moving forward. Again, we talked about all those uh programs that were starting spring practices before. So again, we're going to have a lot more news coming out and it's going to be even more interesting when all these programs start to actually put pads on in the run up to a bunch of spring games. But now, last thing I wanted to talk about here today Nate, we're a month into pretty much the CFF off season. Um I have been running several CFF mock drafts, best balls, things like that to get an idea of what is this early ADP average draft position if you don't know what that means. Uh, What is it looking like for College Fantasy kind of early on in the offseason? Obviously, things are going to change massively from now to the start of the season, but this does kind of give us a good idea of where is like kind of the consensus value at among both experts and also people who play this on a casual level. And I think it is always fun to kind of talk about, like, where do who is going higher than like what the experts would recommend why would the public be more in on certain players than others why would experts be more in on certain players it's a lot of fun discussion here um i don't know how well you can see that graphic nate um but like based on that graphic i kind of have up here on the screen do you have kind of any initial thoughts before we kind of dive into some players that we think are going too high and some that are going too low
1: my initial thoughts are just kind of the big tear breaks that you see between, especially the with the quarterbacks between the uh, what looks like I believe the top six Q- Q- QBs there, yes sir, and and then QB seven, which is uh, Tyler Shuck, Texas Tech. But I mean the the difference in ADP between Michael Pennix, uh who on I believe is at sixteen point two, so like basically the sixteenth player taken in in ADP. And then Shuck is all the way down at 50. So yep. huge, huge tier break uh, right there. So it's almost like you're probably seeing in a lot of these drafts, um, guys, quarterbacks go off the board early in rounds one and two. And then people are just kind of waiting from there on and, and not taking another stab at it until, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth round.
0: I think it's also the fact that you have those top six quarterbacks and then everybody after that, there is no real consensus of who is Yeah, up next. So you can have Tyler Shuck there. His ADP is 50, but he has a wide range. I've seen him go off in the third round, but I've seen him go off in like the ninth, 10th round. Like it's been crazy. The variation you can get with some of these QBs pretty much after those top six. And like you pointed out, Nate, here in the tiers, uh, at running back and wide receiver, there's a big green block right there. And Mm -hmm. that pretty much tells you that the third, fourth, fifth rounds, just dominated by yep. running backs, wide receivers. And it's just where everybody's trying to scoop up as many top players as they can before we get really outside of that consensus there. Any other thoughts you have here, Nate, before we get on to some of the more specific players?
1: Not really. One last thing on the QBs. I mean, it's just when when we talk about those top six being Caleb Williams, Drake May, Bo Nix, Austin Reed, Frank Harris and Michael Penix, I can't remember a year, and I've been doing this a long time, I can't remember a year where we can be so confident in that many top tier QBs. Like That's a really deep tier one mm-hmm. of, of QBs that are back. And, and I think it's deep because three of those guys, Bo Nix, Frank Harris, Michael Penix, kind of surprisingly came back. Mm-hmm. And, and so it has made that top tier so deep as compared to most years. I mean, usually we only have two or three quarterbacks that we can like, you know, pound the table and say, these, these guys have done it. We're not worried. There's no ifs about what they can do. We've seen them do it and they're legit. And this year it's really deep up there.
0: I wonder if NIL has a lot to do with that, Nate. Because again, like Maybe. NIL impacts all of these guys. Obviously, all of these guys right. are pretty much stars on their different teams. But quarterback more than any other, again, has that stigma of like, that's the most important position on the field. They're going to be the ones that earn the most amount of money. So I wonder if that's going to be standard kind of going forward for a lot of these guys that aren't seeing NFL aspirations. They do come back for as many years as they can, just so they can get that extra NIL money each year. And that could make the quarterback position deeper and deeper. I hope so. That would be awesome. It, It would be a ton of fun. And it also kind of makes fantasy kind of mirror the actual Product of college football, just a little bit more. When when you feel that desire to take a quarterback in the first round, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So, alrighty, let's get on over to some of these players again. We're gonna run through uh four guys that we think are going to early, five guys that we think are going to late in a lot of your drafts, and so we'll get right to it with the first one here, and it is everybody's favorite freshman darling from last year, and that is Mr. Nicholas Singleton. Currently, one of the guys that I put on the sheet as going too high currently. Currently, his ADP is RB8, being picked right at the beginning of the third round. I've seen him go mid-second, a lot of times, like, uh, uh, sometimes going, like, early third. Uh, Most of my reservation here has little reservation to do with Nicholas Singleton, the talent, It is more of, I don't understand the difference between Singleton's ADP and Travion Henderson's ADP. So to give you an idea, again, Singleton RB8, beginning of round three. Travion Henderson RB18, going towards the end of the fourth round. That's an almost two-round difference right there. And both of these guys are former five-star backs, going to big-time Big Ten programs with historically his successful CFF running backs, but are both dealing with questions about what kind of workload they're going to get this season because they have other legitimate options in that backfield. Again, Henderson, you got Mayan Williams, Dallin Hayden, Evan Pryor, Nicholas Singleton. You got Catron Allen, who's in the same class as him, who sometimes outcarried Singleton last year. So to me, it's more of me just trying to understand, like, I don't understand why there's a gap between the two of these. If you're going to... I don't understand why people are paying up for Singleton when you could be getting him in the same range as Henderson, who has pretty much all the same questions, in my opinion. So, Nate, your thoughts on Singleton? And I guess I'll ask you, do you think it's that Singleton's going too high or Henderson's going too low?
1: Mm, I So, when comparing these two players... Uh, which is, is kind of the basis for your for your argument here, is I think the problem with Henderson is and, and why people are scared off from him, it's the shelf life of college fantasy football is short, right? Three years is essentially what you get if you're talking about an elite player in a, at a P5 level. Yes, and he and he basically was wasted all of last year because of lingering... Uh, foot issues, right? And now we know that, that that backfield is really deep at Ohio State. So I think people are just scared off from Henderson because of that injury history, because of Ryan Day's propensity to just sit players for lengthy periods of time trying to get them healthy because they don't they don't face their level of competition very often. And, um, and their schedule tends to always be backloaded because Michigan's always at the end of the year. So, you know, it's just a situation where if you – I would be worried if I if I'm drafting Henderson that if he gets dinged up, I may not see him for three weeks, right? Even mm-hmm. if it's just a small injury. So I think that's a concern. The in my opinion, the floor for Henderson is far lower than it is for Singleton. I can draft Singleton and confidently say I'm getting a thousand yards and I'm getting ten touchdowns out of him next year. I think that's I think that's his floor. Even with Ktron Allen, I think he's too explosive. Um, To even though his touches may be limited to maybe 15 a game, I think he's going to do a lot with those 15 touches. So for me, I, I don't have a huge disagreement with the gap between Singleton and Henderson. And it's really mostly to do with I'm concerned of what Henderson sees and how it might play out.
0: No, and I totally get that. So again, let's bring this back to specifically Singleton. Again, I know uh-huh. I, I did a lot of comparisons with Her- Henderson to Singleton because I I do think I I think there are a lot of similarities between the two of these guys. But right. with, when it comes to Singleton, the other part of it is we pretty much saw down the stretch last season. Again, you you it was just the Singleton and Allen show, right? And with Clifford being gone. You would think they're gonna move. They're gonna move towards Aller. There's a lot of talk. Again, they're gonna want to open up the passing game. We got a five-star quarterback back there. They're bringing in guys like Dante Cephas. They still got Keandre Lambert Smith there. A lot of great weapons for them to use in the pass game. What is the path for Singleton? to finish better than what he did last year he had 167 touches reached at the 1100 yards 13 touchdowns so he had a really good season last year again a lot of that came in the bowl game but even so he finished as the rb46 last year he's being drafted as the eight right now what is the path to him getting up to that aspirational top 10 running back for cff
1: uh, I, I think your point is well taken on that. I do think because of Catron Allen, his ceiling is capped, right? I don't I don't think 1,600 yards and 18 touchdowns is probably outside of his range of outcomes, talking about Nick Singleton, because of Catron Allen. However, I do think that they are going to lean on the ground game something fierce there at Penn State, um, especially early on as they start to work Aller in. And I think that it's a good enough offensive line. It's a good enough um, staff in in terms of scheme that I I think there's room for them both to eat. So even if you are kind of drafting him near maybe his ceiling here at at RB8, I think that his floor, again, is very, very safe. And so I, I don't have a major problem with that. Um, because when you're drafting in those first three rounds, you're really you you can't really win your league, but you can definitely lose your league if mm-hmm. you if you miss on some of those early guys.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. And again, a little bit morbid here, but if God forbid something were to happen to Allen, oh, yeah. Singleton would be oh, th- my gosh. he would be hitting that RB eight yeah quickly. And that and you gotta you gotta kinda take that into account. I mean, that's that's that's
1: as sad as it may sound, I mean, there there is potential for that.
0: Yeah. All right, Nate, let's go on to one of your guys here that you put down as being too high. Oh, I say that. I put him down for you because I figure you might want to talk about this guy. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Jermaine Brown Jr., the running back out of UAB. Currently, his uh, ADP is RB22 off the board, being picked right around the mid to late fifth round early in the process he was a guy that was going in like the second third round has fallen a a little bit but he's pretty much kind of settled in right around this range right here so nate why do you think that jermaine brown jr is currently going too high
1: well and i i understand some of the support for him because this is a a program that has historically done well with running backs um the only problem is, is that it is a totally new staff and that, that history doesn't carry over with them. We don't know what we're going to get out of Trent Dilfer, right? Yes, sir. We've never, we've never seen him coaching at this level. I think that there's and and Nick Nikki and Alan brought brought this up in our disc or in our chat. I I think there's some serious concerns with that offensive line. Like mm-hmm. they are losing they are losing a ton there at UAB. This is going to be a major rebuild that's taking place. So um, that has me concerned a little bit too. What's the game script going to look like? Is he going to be able to have enough volume that we saw uh, in the past with the running backs there? So that concerns me too. You know. It, the schedule's fairly challenging. They do have Georgia on their schedule. So they've already got two bye weeks built in, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so uh so that's a little bit of a concern as well, too. But um I think I think that's my my thing. I think there's way too many unknowns for me to be even remotely confident taking him uh where he is where he is currently going, which remind me again, what is he? RB twenty two. RB twenty two, yeah. I just he's not somebody I would even I would even consider um, in that range. You know, once he starts getting down to RB thirty plus, yeah, maybe I maybe I'll take a look. But I still think there's a lot of risk that goes on with him.
0: So as somebody who has him currently ranked right in this range, he's currently my RB twenty one. I'll kind of touch on some of the points you had there. Obviously, offensive line. Whenever you're dealing with running back, that is a major place of concern. Uh, in terms of how well they're going to be able to churn out yardage. But again, like you said, this is a program that has built itself to run the ball extremely well. They have people in that staff they've kept, kept from the previous regime that are going to be able to help teach up those new offensive linemen. I think they'll be able to still be productive there. The other part of it is, let's say that offensive line isn't performing as well, especially in the rushing department. That means that whatever quarterback they have back there, I'll be real, I haven't even really looked at who the quarterback for UAB is going to be. They're going to need an outlet. They're going to need somebody to dump it off to. And you have Jermaine Brown Jr. here who is a really good, or at least not really good, but a much better pass catcher out of the backfield than the UAB system has had in recent years with Dwayne McBride. And so I think that that's where he could probably get some of his volume back right there. And like speaking of volume, again, this guy got 185 touches last year and 1,000 yards as the RB2 for this system. Again, maybe they're not as successful on the ground, but if the RB2, and as successful as they were last year, was able to do that, I think he should be able to make that work again right there. The last thing I'll kind of point out, you talked about we don't know what's going to happen with this coaching staff. Point is very well taken. But you look at this whole coaching staff, especially the guys at the top. It's inexperience, inexperience, inexperience. What do coaching staffs that look like that typically do? They look for the experience, they look for the veterans on their roster, and they rely on that. Brown is going to his fifth year with this program. I have a feeling that he is going to be somebody they're going to lean on. If I hear anything about him stepping up as a leader in whatever limited coverage we can get from UAB, I'm going to be all in on him for this next upcoming year.
1: Yep. I think that's uh, your, your points are, your points are valid. Um, I just, I'll be, I'll probably be looking elsewhere in that range. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Alrighty. Let's talk about another guy. That's going too high here. Let's talk about Dorian singer, the wide receiver going to USC transferred over from Arizona, currently going as a wide receiver 11 Uh, His ADP is putting him right around the middle of the third round. Exactly in the middle. Uh, The 306 pick currently is where he's on average being taken. He's going as wide receiver 11. He's my wide receiver 44. And it has everything to do with that. I don't really know what has been said by really anybody that warrants the gap between where Singer is going and where every other wide receiver for USC is going right now. To give you an idea, Singer just talked about it. Wide receiver 11, middle of the third round. The next USC wide receiver, according to our ADP, that is coming off the board, Mario Williams, wide receiver 69 in the middle of the 13th round. Follow that with Taj Washington, wide receiver 72, middle of the 14th round. And then Brendan Rice, who had a pretty impressive bowl game for USC against Tulane, wide receiver 84. Uh, End of the 16th round. What is going on here, y'all? Again, I (laughs) like Dorian Singer. I think he's a great talent. I think he'll be good for USC this year. He's going 10 rounds ahead of any other USC wide receiver right now. And to me, they're pretty much all relatively even with one another. Ain't no way I'm spending up a third-round pick for him right now. So, Nate, your thoughts on Dorian Singer. Do you have any kind of... Counter argument there as to why Singer is worth this high of a pick.
1: I do not. I'm hundred percent with you. Uh, this is far too high for me. I get that people want a piece of this offense. Uh, who wouldn't? I mean, this you got Caleb Williams that you got a terrible defense. They're gonna be throwing it all over the field. It's gonna be really fun. But you're drafting him um at at I think above his ceiling. I, I just don't know like that room is just far too deep. There's too many options. Um, you're basically drafting him where I, I just I don't see any way he's going to be able to put up those kind of numbers. So for me, I'm I'm totally with you. If if I want a piece of this offense, I will wait until later in the draft and select some of those other guys you mentioned, like Rice, like Taj Washington. I'm I'm not super high on Mario Williams. So, but even still, at that value, I would rather have Mario Williams knowing that I think maybe he's at best wide receiver 2 there but if I get him as wide receiver 70 in a draft as opposed to spending, you know, wide receiver 11 draft capital on Dorian Singer I'm I'm happier with with waiting. So that's just kind of where I stand with it. I'm totally with you.
0: Yeah, again, I don't think there's really that much debate on here. Again, there are people out there who love Singer and again, I like him too. I like I'm not going to knock anybody for wanting to yeah. believe in the talent. It's just if, if, if these guys were a little bit closer in EDP, like maybe Mario Williams is going off in like the sixth round or seventh round and like Washington and Rice for guys you could get that were going off in like the 10th round. I could understand this maybe just a little bit more because, but there's just a massive gap. I'm going to spend on those guys on later in drafts every single time than spend up for Dorian Singer. Yep. Let's go to another wide receiver here that is in kind of a similar situation. And to tease y'all, Nate put this man on the sheet and put a little sad face next to it. Because, uh, (laughs) Nate, I know this is going to hurt you to talk about this guy as going too high. Nate, talk to us about Devontae Walker over at UNC, man. It does.
1: It it pains me. Um, It hurts my soul whenever I had to put him on the sheet. But obviously transferring in from Kent State to North Carolina – And this is a guy that finished as a top 20 wide receiver last year, and he is currently being drafted as wide receiver eight. That's, that's a concern for me. I mean, this is, you know, sorry, wide receiver seven, this, you know, this is a guy that is going early in drafts, we're talking about in rounds two and three, and not only is he jumping up in competition, but it's it's a wide receiver room that still has some nice pieces, even though they lost downs and they lost green. So that's a little bit of a concern. We just haven't seen him perform at this level, and we don't have – a great track record of guys moving up from g5 to p5 and being very successful with it there are very few jacob cowans right there just aren't as many that find that level of success now i love the landing spot i get it there's a lot to like i love the fact that he's with drake may wide receiver seven is just a little too strong for me right i think that i think that that's maybe where he would have been drafted had everybody stayed at Kent State and they're mm-hmm. playing in Maction and that type of thing. But now, given the changes, um, I want to see some really positive camp reports before I would be willing to take a stab that early on him.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm going to make a similar argument here that I made with Dorian Singer. Let's look at the gap between Walker and the other UNC wide receivers here. Next wide receiver that comes off the board after Walker... Nate McCollum, wide receiver 40, in the end of the ninth round. Kobe Pesor, wide receiver 68, middle of the 13th round. Andre Green Jr., everybody's favorite freshman from last year, who is expected to probably earn a starting role on the outside this year, going undrafted right now. Yeah. It feels like you're paying a premium for, once again, a guy who, in my opinion, has an even shot. Maybe a little, I'm going to say this he has a less than even shot of being the number one guy. Because he's not even playing in the slot where Josh Downs was playing last year. You I mean, you got um, Nate McCollum and Kobe Pesar, both slot guys. They're they're going to be battling out for that position right there. So, I just, again, it's too, it's way, way too much. Give me McCollum at the end of the ninth. Give me Paysor in the 13th. Give me Andre Green Jr. way down the draft boards before I spend on Walker at the end of the second round.
1: Yeah, it's some of the names that are going around: Devontae Walker, uh, Jacob Cowan going a spot before him, Jalen McMillan, Xavier Worthy. We talked about Dorian Singer. I mean, these are dudes that have that have proven at the mm-hmm. P5 level capable of getting a thousand yards and close to ten touchdowns. I mean, the the amount of production that Xavier Worthy has at Texas, I mean, it's just you know he, he's been incredible for two years. So I just You know, he's just going in a range. It's just a little too rich for me right now. And I love the guy. Gosh, I love, I love Tez Walker, man. He's, he's a freak.
0: Yeah. Alrighty. So enough negativity, Nate. We got, we, we're bashing on too many of these guys right now. Let's go talk about some guys that are too low in our opinion. So let's talk about a quarterback here first. And, we're going to talk about Curtis Rook, the quarterback out of Ohio, currently going as the QB seventeen. Raw ADP has him as the seventy or right about the eightieth player off the board. Puts him in the at the mid to late seventh round right here. I kind of disagree with you on this one, Nate, but I'm going to have you make your pitch here first. Um, and it's nothing to do with his talent or the system that he plays in. But you, I'll make you, I'll let you make your pitch first, Nate.
1: Is it the injury?
0: It's everything to do with the injury.
1: Okay, that's that's fair. Let's let's talk injury aside right now because I don't. I'll, I'll admit I don't know all of the the details with with his injury status. Um, assuming he does have health, and we can't always assume that. So I, I do want to see some practice reports come out that okay, he's taking snaps with the ones and he's moving around just fine. Assuming that happens, I think that this is a guy that probably belongs in that first tier. Of QBs that we talked about, of that that first six that have proven they are CFF studs and have a great system that support them again coming in this year and have wide receivers around them because that's exactly what we're talking about with Curtis Rourke there at Ohio. So um that's just where I stand with it right now. Uh I think it's it's really early in the offseason, and I get why people are having some concerns uh with the injuries. But, man, I would have no problem waiting and and taking him as my q b one or even q b two based off of where he's going and rolling the dice that he's healthy and and all and he's ready to roll
0: in week one, so here's the thing I get. It. I have no doubt in my mind if he is healthy, he's an incredible asset. He is that mac Q b that you want to own. In week 11, according to The Athletic, this isn't like a backwoods like website on that I had to like get an extra router to find or anything like that. This is from The Athletic. <laughs> uh, he tore his ACL and his meniscus in week 11. That's a lot to come back from in just one offseason. It'd be another thing if he tore it early in the season, but it gets right there near the end. Mm-hmm could it, is it possible yeah we've seen we've seen some incredible stuff with ACL rehab over the years i mean shoot cam akers it felt like was back in like 5 6 months adam randall tore his in spring and was seeing action by the end of the season last year so Could Cordis Rourke make an incredible recovery? Sure, but he's also not at a Power Five program that probably has access to all of the incredible medical stuff that, you know, places like, you know, the Rams and Clemson have access to. It's a lot to ask for him to come back by week one and be 100%. You can make the argument to me that when he comes back, and maybe maybe it's the second half of the season, he's going to be a potential league winner, especially in Maxion. That is an argument I'm willing to hear, but if that's going to be the case, where he's at right now as a QB2 is good, if not a little high for me. Like, I understand investing in guys. That's totally fine with me, but if you put him much higher than where he's at right now, that's a ton, a ton of risk you're asking for right there.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. Uh, This is you know injuries are definitely you know scaring people off here so I I totally get that uh he's somebody that I think is good enough to where I'm still willing to take some of that risk let me ask you this then let's say he does miss and and he is not cleared you know and and they're saying okay maybe he's out for like the first month of the season or so what does that do for you with CJ Harris do you like him at all as far as being the replacement for him
0: I uh, definitely wouldn't take him nearly as high as I would with, with Rourke. Because, again, like with Rourke, a lot of it is we just know he can do it. And sure. uh, we weren't super impressed with his performances. But, again, a lot can happen when you have a full off season of refs to work yeah. with. Lots of guys improve when they are able to do that. I think he'd be a fun matching option. To me, it just makes me all the more interested in a guy like, say, Gira, where... Sure. Again, you go back to guys who you know you can count on. He feels like the guy that would get the bump there. Makes sense. All right, let's go talk about a running back here. And let's talk about Mr. Treshawn Potts, my running back 19. He's currently going as the RB43 in drafts right at the tail end of the ninth round. Guys, this is the Minnesota running back position we're talking about here. And... It'd be another thing if Potts was, you know, maybe there was... I mean, there is some competition. Again, it's, to me, it's between him and the freshman they brought in last year in Zach Evans. But Zach Evans was injured throughout most of the last year. Treshawn Potts is a veteran in this program. We've seen this staff value veteran presences. And he, last year... Pretty much was net even with Muhammad Ibrahim through the first two games of the season. Started off with performances of 16.8 and 19.9 fantasy point performances. After that, they went directly to, we're going to give Muhammad Ibrahim every touchdown under the sun. Because Potts didn't score another touchdown after week two. But that tells me that when they're questioning Ibrahim, when Ibrahim wasn't the guy that they knew that they could rely on week after week. Potts was their next guy up, and he got extended run in games against New Mexico and Western Illinois. Again, not great competition, but those are the guys where they throw them out there and they say, all right, what do you look like when we give you a little extra volume? He was that next guy up, and it feels like we're not spending the value that he deserves as the probable next Minnesota running back here. So Nate, your thoughts on Trayshawn Potts and where he's going right now?
1: Yeah, I was surprised to see that he's currently going as the RB43. That's, I mean, this is a system that you just want to invest in. I mean, you want to take a shot at it, even if it doesn't work. I mean, I I would be totally comfortable with taking him in, you know, that RB20 to 25 range and just betting on the upside that Minnesota continues to churn out, uh, you know, really high-producing fantasy running backs. And we saw when Mo Ibrahim went down that year before Treson Potts himself went down, he was performing at a really, really high level. This is a guy that was consistently putting up over 20 fantasy points per game. So, um, you know, it's hard because there's, it's hard to speculate on what the issue was with him. Some, some were saying that maybe it was some blood clots or something like that. that kept him out the remainder of that season. And he didn't, when he did play last year, he just wasn't as efficient as he had been, in the past. So that's a little bit of a concern. This is a guy that over his career has gone from 7.3, 6.4, 4.9, and then last year, 4.7 yards per carry. So it's a little concerning that he's kind of going in the wrong direction there. But this is a guy that the staff, I would assume is quite confident that will be just fine because they've seen him produce at this level. So uh, yeah, I would be totally confident taking a stab on him well before he's currently being taken.
0: Yeah, because, again, you're you're talking about the end of the ninth round. This is, pretty, again, looking at some of the guys that are kind of going around him. Again, Relique Brown, the USC running back. What? What are Ugh, we doing? No way. Day-Day Hunter at Liberty. Jarkes Hunter um, ahead of him. Nakia Watson, Washington State. Again, like, it's it, just...
1: It's, it's a position where if, yeah, I mean, may, maybe it ends up being somewhat of a committee, but we haven't seen that from them. Nope. And, and... Nope. You could be getting a guy that gets 250 touches at RB43. I mean, that's just an incredible, an incredible value there that you got to be able to. I mean, you want to take that risk on a guy that could get that level of volume.
0: Yeah. 100%. Again, Tray Sean Potts should be moving up a lot of y'all's rankings pretty soon. I, I have a feeling that people are going to kind of have a light bulb moment pretty soon. This is like, hey, what? why are we waiting on this guy? Sure next one up here one of your guys here nate you threw on to our sheets mr richard reese the running back out of baylor currently going as the rb 55 kind of mid to late 11th round this man had a thousand yards and 14 touchdowns last year nate how does this even happen how do people forget about what he did last year (laughs) tell us about
1: reese I forgets a great word to describe Richard Reese. I think he is a forgotten man uh, among the fantasy community. And you know, I posted that tweet. Name name the three players that got two hundred touches, a thousand yards, and ten touchdowns. And he was one of those three players, along with Judkins and uh, and Ott over in California. We we forget how productive this was as a true freshman. And a guy that we've considered to be undersized because he's listed, I want to say, around 175 pounds, but is a guy that uh, proved in multiple games that he can be a workhorse. And it's a great system. It's the Baylor system. Some people are concerned because of the running back room and how the season kind of ended for him and he became part of a committee. Uh, but I think that was kind of a load management. They, you know, the, the staff had said midway through the season, hey, we just kind of want to manage his load. He is a freshman. We're not going to overdo it. And from that point on, they they did. Uh, but who's to say they don't kind of unleash him a little bit again this year? Uh, I just, I'm willing to, I'm willing to bet on a guy that had a thousand yards and 14 touchdowns and a good system well before RB55 or wherever it is he's going. The Dom Richardson transfer doesn't scare me in the least bit. I would say, so are, are, you, are you not scared
0: by powerhouse running back Dominic
1: not, Richardson? No, if that's a concern for you, then you obviously haven't watched Dominic Richardson play running back before. So don't be worried about that. So that's that should not be in the debate.
0: Yeah, I think this has everything to do with, like you said, one, him forgetting, but then two... um people just got burned last year. I think that's the reason why they're so they're so worried about this because Week 8, 33 touches, 212 yards, 2 touchdowns. Week 9, 39 touches, 160 yards, 3 touchdowns. You're sitting there thinking you have the next just massive CFF League winner. Week 10, 5 touches, 12 yards, touchdown. Week 11, 9 touches, 54 yards, no touchdowns. Just a massive drop-off for almost pretty much no reason as far as we could tell because there wasn't any injury concern really going on right there. Like you said, Nate, they did talk about managing his load. I don't think people were expecting him to go from 39 touches the week before to five the very next week. So I think a lot of people are kind of worried about, like, well, what happens when that happens? Does that happen again? Is there anything that we can kind of point to, Nate, that can might alleviate people's fears about that potentially happening this year.
1: That first game where the drop-off happened, he did have the flu. Nobody knew that going into the game. That was after getting like 30 something touches the week before everybody started him. And then of course he gets the flu. And I think he touched the ball like, like two or three times. So that was, that was a major disappointment. And then after that is when they just decided to roll with the committee, the rest of the way. I, I equate this, Richard Reese situation very much so to Izzy Abanaconda the year before whenever he was at Pitt back in 2021, and it was abundantly clear that Izzy was by far the best player. And when I watched Baylor play this year, it's abundantly clear that Richard Reese was the best running back on roster. But they, I I hope, will. I'm sorry if you guys hear my daughter in the background. She just woke up from a nap and she's. Uh, quite vocal right now <laughs> but i i hope that this staff recognizes that and and we see some of that volume uh that we saw at times last year so i, I think there's potential there oh right. I, I get i get some of the concerns as well too though
0: i get the concerns but like but again rb 55 really people this is a guy with that produced a thousand yards last year i think we can move him up our boards just a little bit all right, we got two more players to get through here, and it sounds like Nate uh, might have to go soon, so we are, we'll are we get through these guys pretty quickly. We got two wide receivers to talk about here. Let's talk about Jamal Banks, my wide receiver 16, currently going as a wide receiver 30, and honestly, I think he might be moving up higher than where I have him at wide receiver 16, because this is... Like he is set to play that ex-receiver position for Wake Forest it's the same position that A.T. Perry to Roberson Sage Sherratt guys that we have loved over the years have been producing for us and so to me like if we we saw Banks produce well last year this guy is a guy who had nine touchdowns on just 42 catches like again he kind of Popped up the middle of the season, faded as the year went wrong because AT Perry kind of got himself back on track. But it you know, when you get nine touchdowns and just 42 catches, that tells me that you're gonna be a go-to guy in this offense. Now, again, do I expect that exact same uh ratio of touchdowns to catches? Heck no. But at the same time, it's very clear they're comfortable with him as a potential starter for this system. I think I'm going to be very, very aggressive in acquiring Jamal Banks moving forward here. Because again, I'm not super comfortable with a lot of the wide receivers that go in the round like four to eight range. And he's just sitting right there every single time. So to me, if I am not loving my wide receiver room by the time round six comes along and this is where he's going to stay at, I'm going to be getting him in the sixth round pretty much, fifth, sixth round pretty much every time here. I think he's going way too low. Nate, your thoughts on Jamal Banks? I totally agree with
1: you. This is, we talked about Trey Potts over in Minnesota. This is the wide receiver version really of Trey Potts in that he is the next man up in a system that we absolutely want to invest in at the wide receiver position. So uh, yeah, I think people are, are a little scared off that we haven't seen it. And maybe, you know, maybe Green also being back for Wake Forest, people may be concerned that these two could, could take a little bit of the volume away from each other. But still I, I think wide receiver thirty is probably pretty close to Banks's floor. Um I, I think he's somebody that can really produce and, and will get a pretty decent portion of, of the the volume that will be absent from from losing AT Perry. So I yeah. like I like where you're at in, in thinking that he's going too low here.
0: So it's funny you say that like, oh, the reason why people might might be scared off of Jamal Banks Uh, It's because we haven't seen it yet. A lot of those same people would then look at you and be like, oh, but I'd rather have Donovan Green later on. It's like, well, if you don't think that Banks hasn't shown anything, then you really must not like Green because he hasn't really shown anything either. Because, again, Banks, we have seen last year, can take over games, a la A.T. Perry and all these other guys. I haven't seen that from Donovan Green yet. So Green might be the better value because, again, he's just going so much cheaper. But, like, I'm just that much of a believer in Jamal Banks this year. Last but not least, let's go to your last guy here, Nate. You want to talk about Luther Burden. You've been kind of teasing this uh, with a couple of your messages in our chat, some of your tweets and everything like that, about how high you are on Luther Burden coming into this year after, let's be frank, was he was horribly misutilized the last year. He's mm-hmm. currently going as a wide receiver 29, middle of the seventh round. Nate, sell me on Luther Burden this year. Why should we be so hyped about him?
1: Yeah, he is definitely one that I wrote about in my pre-spring Stock Up article. I think the the hire of Kirby Moore, Kellen Moore's brother, who was the wide receivers coach and offensive coordinator out at Fresno State, is a really good hire for Missouri, a good hire for Luther Burden as far as his productivity. I think we finally now have a matching of an elite, elite wide receiver talent being matched up with what is a very productive wide receiver producing offensive coordinator and play caller. He's, he is somebody that can be used all over the field in a variety of different ways, touching the ball out of the backfield, catching it on short routes, going deep. He can catch it all over the field and be a factor and more is an offensive coordinator that we've seen with Cropper Moreno, somebody that, and, and, uh, uh, Regino, what, what was the name of the other wide receiver that was there? Remegio. Uh, this is an offensive coordinator that is very creative in finding ways to get the ball to his best players. And I think that's just a big boost for Luther Burden. The quarterback room can't be any worse than it was last year, uh, with Horn having now a year under his belt, getting Jake Garcia in from Miami as a transfer. Uh, so I think that that is also a benefit for Burden. So I just think a lot of things are pointing in the right direction for Burden, and he's somebody that I would want to take a shot on well before wide receiver twenty nine because of all those things pointing in in a good direction for him.
0: Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. And honestly, like he's he's currently my wide receiver thirty one. He's probably going to rise as I think more and more about that situation. Just how. Again, I don't love the entire wide receiver class in general. So again, the more I see guys that where everything's, like you said, Nate, everything's pointing in the right direction for him to have a better year this year, I'm probably going to take an investment in that. And you kind of mentioned they're likely getting a QB upgrade in one shape or form this year. I really like Jake Garcia going into that room. I think he was somebody that has performed well at Miami over the years. Again, just in the constant battle with Tyler Van Dyke over there. You're talking about a guy that I think fits very similar to what Kirby Moore has dealt with with Fresno State and Jake Hayner over the years. Garcia might be just a little bit more mobile than Hayner was. So I really like that marriage right there between offensive coordinator and QB almost as much as you like the offensive coordinator marriage between him and Luther Burden. So I think a lot of it's coming together here could be in for a very, very good year here. Drinkowitz knows
1: he needs to feed this man if he wants him to be on his team come 2024. Yes, the, sir. The, the portal is calling his name, and Drinkowitz needs to find a way to keep him out of it. So, not getting him the ball is not the answer for that. So, and real quick, let's just let's take a look at Burden versus some of the guys we talked about earlier. Who would you rather, in a vacuum, if all things were equal, who would you rather draft first? Burden, Tez Walker, Dorian Singer.
0: Oh, I take I take burden over all of those guys. Yeah. That's, if that's if I'm being real, team. like yeah, yeah, yeah I, we we know
1: he's the wide receiver one there, right? Mm-hmm. We know that we and we don't know that with those other two. So I think that's the concern.
0: Yeah, one 100%. percent. All right. With that being said, that brings us pretty much to the end of our show. We'll get through this pretty quickly here. Nate, you have been awesome. In my opinion, this might have been one of the best shows that we might have ever had. This is, again, great, great stuff from us here today. There we go. Um, Make sure you guys go and check out all of Nate's articles over at CampusAgain.com. He is basically putting out, in my opinion, what is the must-read of the offseason right now in his coaching change articles. Uh, They're must-reads for the moment that they come out for me. I'm learning a ton from them, so you guys need to be reading them just as much. Make sure you check out all of our content over at campusacanton.com, all of the podcasts, all of the great stuff that we're doing over there. Again, if you're interested, again, we talked a lot about ADP today. If you're interested in participating in mock drafts, best balls, reach out to me at CFF underscore Jared. It's right there on the screen. Perfect timing on that. Um, With that being said, again, awesome show, y'all. Looking forward to the rest of this month, spring camp news, talking a little bit more about setting up all of your leagues and everything. Lots of great stuff coming your way. Really appreciate you guys listening, and you guys have a wonderful and fantastic day. See y'all.